The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This is Nye from Nye's Nerd Corner, and you are listening to I Rebel, a Lurkana podcast. Or, as you Americans say, let's go see the town. Okay, so, where do we go? Go now. I will show you the land of the Samba. Samba? What Samba? I'm a strong one, and I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. I'm with mountains, I'm with churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. I don't ask how hard the work is. Got a rough, indestructible surface. Diamonds and platinum, I find them, I flatten them, I take what I'm handed, and I break what's amended. But under the surface, I think about my purpose. Can I somehow preserve this? Line up the dominoes, the light wind blows. You try to stop it, tell it, but on and on it goes. Pressure like a quick, quick, quick. Welcome back, Illuminators, to IRL, where fandom meets hobby. I am your host, Jedi Geek Girl. Listeners, we are back with a brand new episode after a short break, and we have six new spoilers in this episode to cover. Our guests for this episode to talk about these cards will be Nive from the Nive Nerve Corner on YouTube. Welcome to the show, Nive. It's good to be here, Jedi. Happy to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Living life. Life is getting crazy, and it's just going to get even crazier when we get more Lorcana stuff. Did you make sure to flex your wings for the day, or do you still have to do that? Uh, I still have to do that today, but I have some time to do that. I'm flying all over town today, so it's going to be great. Awesome. Just avoid the Midwest here because we have a lot of snow, and I don't know how you handle the cold. Well, the cold's not too bad, so maybe you can handle it. I'm actually in the middle of the Midwest, so it's going to be great. All right. Well, in all seriousness, before we dive into our introductory segment, can you please share with our listeners why you give yourself the nickname of the Pigeon of Lorcana and what draws you to pigeons? Yeah, so near the beginning of this whole Lorcana hype, there was this discussion of content creators having like a content creator program with Lorcana. And I just made the joke on Twitter of like, if they want me to get into a pigeon costume and go across the country throwing Lorcana cards at people, I will gladly do that. And that joke just kind of stuck. My favorite animal is actually the owl, but pigeons are also great. They are majestic. They know how to get home. They know where they are and what they're doing. And they are surprisingly durable birds. I did not know that your nickname or your identification with pigeons started out originally as a joke. I think that's fantastic, and I applaud you for embracing it. And like I said, make sure you tell your pigeon comrades hello for me. Oh yeah, shout out to the pigeon army. Since this is your first time on our show, can you please tell our listeners about yourself and your history with Disney? Uh, certainly. So, I grew up in a super conservative Christian cult called the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. So being inside that cult, Disney was something that you weren't really allowed to watch. 
fortunately, my family was kind of on the outskirts of it, so I was able to watch the occasional Disney movie. The biggest Disney movies that I got to watch growing up were The Lion King, Lilo and Stitch, Atlantis, and Treasure Planet. So those four, uh, and Robin Hood. Those movies were basically my full understanding of Disney until I left the cult about, oh man, is it been, it's been about eight years now. First thing I did when I got out was basically just soak in all the Disney that I possibly could. Now with a card game coming out, I love card games. That's kind of the world that I'm coming from instead of the Disney side. I played Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons. Those helped me get out of the cult as well. And so seeing Disney and trading card games kind of come together through this is really cool for me. You said that once you got out on your own, you watched the Disney films. Did you pick and choose or did you make a goal to watch all of them? And a follow-up question, is there any that you haven't seen that you want to see that you just, for whatever reason, haven't gotten around to seeing? Uh, That is a good question. So the way that I basically did was I looked at the Disney movies and just saw which one spoke to me. I've watched almost all of them. I haven't seen either of the Fantasias. I haven't seen Dinosaur either. But yeah, most of them I've seen at this point. But the Fantasias are something that I might look into later on this year. Following up with the Disney conversation, at the time of this recording, does anything Disney-related outside of Lacana have your attention? And if it does, what is it? Star Wars. I absolutely love Star Wars. Again, it was one of the very few things that I was allowed to have be entertainment. And so with Bad Batch and Mandalorian Season 3 out right now, those have been the big things that Disney is bringing out that I'm excited for right now. I have to comment on this because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I just want to quickly say that I think Star Wars is finally, for me at least, firing on all cylinders. Like, Mandalorian Season 3 is killing it for me. I finally came around on Mandalorian. The Book of Boba Fett is what turned me around on it. And Bad Batch, even though the first three episodes I think were a little rocky, has really come into its own with the last, like, nine or eight episodes. And obviously the High Republic is killing it. But I do have to ask you, because you brought up Star Wars, what is your favorite Star Wars film? I'd have to say The Empire Strikes Back, mostly because, thankfully, I never had the big I Am Your Father twist revealed to me. And so I'm a eight-year-old kid who just learns that twist, and that's just always stuck with me. That is fantastic. I know, for me, I saw it without knowing it, but, like, it is so ingrained in me that I don't remember that first time, but I commend you on that, for sure. Oh, yeah. Moving on to Lakana. How about your interest in Lakana? What was it about Lakana that spoke to you and drew you to it? So when Lakana was revealed, the trading card game that I was in, Magic the Gathering, it's kind of been going downhill, and at least in my personal opinion. I've been trying to find a different TCG to get into. I found Lorcana, found out that Ryan Miller and Steve Warner were working on it, saw that it was Ravensburger who has worked on Villainous. And I just saw all these competent people and partners and companies making this. And then I saw the seven cards. I was already hooked. And that moved us perfectly into our content. Knives Nerf Corner. What led you to creating YouTube content and creating your brand? So one of the cool things about 
my channel, Knives Nerd Corner. It was originally designed to be for Lorcana, Magic, and D&D and all that stuff. But I have decided to make it solely Lorcana, at least for now. The reason I'm doing that is because, one, it's good to be on the ground floor whenever you're a content creator. It's good to be on the ground floor of a TCG or other property. So I decided if I was going to do this anytime in the future, I might as well do it now. And then with Lorcana, Disney is great. I love Disney. The trading card game aspect is great as well. And I think my insights, history in TCGs, as well as my statistics and mathematic mind can give a good... I think the way that I think and my personality can make an entertaining and informative channel for Lorcana. That is absolutely fantastic. There's nothing like being on the ground floor of a game, and I wish you luck in the growth of your channel and... Maybe one day you can expand, but there's nothing wrong with focusing on one game either. Exactly. In a further effort to have our listeners to get to know you better, we here at Bell have something we would like to call Lightning McQueen's Quick Five, where we ask you five questions and you answer back the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite Disney animated canon film? Lilo and Stitch. What is your primary focus when it comes to Lakana? Collecting, content creation, casual play, competitive play, community building, or investing? Deck construction and content creation. What is your favorite Lakana card to date? Ruella DeVille, miserable as usual. Which Disney-owned property would you like to see get added to Lakana? Marvel. And for our final question, what is one prediction you have about Lakana's future? It's going to survive the first three years. And with that, we are ready to move on to our main topic. Let's dive in. As mentioned in our intro, we are going to be talking about the next round of spoilers, what I would like to refer to as the next six. Just a disclaimer, while most of the cards were revealed, we are missing the rarity and lore count of these cards. With that disclaimer out of the way, let's dive in. Knife. Would you please be kind to read our first card off? Absolutely. Our first card for the day is Magic Mirror, a two-cost, without flourish, item in Amethyst. With the ability Speak, you exert and pay four resources to draw a card. One of the things I love about getting new cards is whenever they show a new property, and this to me confirms that we are getting Snow White in the Seven Drawers, as we should in the first set. And even though the Evil Queen, we saw that she was on the official site, she has since been removed, this to me just confirms that Snow White is going to be in the first chapter because I don't think this will be the only card from that property in the set. So I'm excited for that. I don't know if we're going to get all seven dwarves. But just the fact that I am talking about the franchise itself just tells you what I think about this card. But it is the first item card chronologically that we have gotten so that is also good, but not a huge fan of the cost per draw because four to draw one to me seems a little bit expensive. But then again, we don't know how we are going to accumulate resources and if this is going to be consistent. But it does show me that maybe this game is going to be a little bit more like Magic the Gathering when it comes to drawing instead of like Pokemon, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that we're going to have a more restrictive card selection style compared to Pokemon. I think with this card, I think it's going to be used in the common or uncommon slot. I see it as a common or uncommon card. And there is a similar card in Magic the Gathering from its first couple sets. I can't pronounce it, but it's like Genmai Tome. It basically does the exact same thing as Magic Mirror, where it's four resources to draw a card. It was really good back then. So the question then becomes, are we at that power level of just if we can spend four mana to get an extra card that is absolutely worth it? Or is this something meant to be put into a kind of lower powered control deck where at the end of your opponent's turn, if we're allowed to put our remaining resources into our items, draw an extra card and just gather up those little advantages over time. It is really hard to say without knowing, like, the resource system and the rest of the cards. You would think that because this game is coming out 30 years after Magic the Gathering, that its starting point wouldn't be the same as the original Magic the Gathering, just because of how far card games have come since then. And even though it is nice to have a slower-paced game and build up, I don't think we would start at either end of the extreme, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, but on the flip side, it is healthy for me to start on the slower side instead of starting on the quicker side and trying to pull back. But just in general, just based of what we have of cards this time, I don't think this card is good, but wait and see. Wait and see. I agree. Moving on to our next card, Healing Glow. Action, one with flourish, amber, remove up to two damage from chosen character. So this card is very interesting because it has confirmed for us that damage is going to stay on our characters. With that in mind, spending one of your resources to basically give your character an additional two toughness is pretty good. If you have a larger creature, such as your Maleficence, your Mickeys, your Robin Hoods, and they get hit by a Captain Hook challenge and they're dealt three damage, you can do the healing glow and basically reset that damage and basically nullifying a challenge for one cost. And I can see that being very powerful, especially in the early game. For something in limited, it's also really good. Again, it can basically nullify a challenge from your opponent. And it seems to fit very well into the Amber, as Amber appears to be this kind of friendship is magic kind of style or theme. And so having Healing Glow heal one of your friends is very flavorful for that ink color. I love this card. I have so much to say about this card. I think I will start off with saying I think this card is phenomenal. I think it is good. I think it will see play because every game that I play that have this have seen it see play at some point in time. For example, in Star Wars Destiny, First Aid, which was basically the same thing, one resource heal two, it's all play. In Pokemon, there was some formats, not every format, where potion see play. And just that two, or in Pokemon 20 or 30, depending what time you are playing, can make a difference because it starves off a knockout. Again, for the slower format. So I love it, and I think it will definitely see play because it basically, as you said before, nullifies an attack 
and forces your opponent into sinking more resources, or in this case, like, challenging to knock out a character. So I think it's good. I think it will see play. One for two is pretty basic. The next thing I would like to say is, obviously, Tangled. Mm -hmm. This is the first card from Tangled. And I think it is safe to say that Rapunzel effect will basically have this as a character ability in some form or another. Whether it is when she comes into play, she heals two from your board, or if you exert her and heal. I think, to me, this is going to be a Dragonfire Maleficent-type deal. So I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to that. This alone makes me think about running Amber with Purple to have that control healing thing. But again, we don't know. Again, I'm fangirling out over this card, but I'm going to go ahead and recollect to you to uh, comment further on this card, even though that is pretty simple. To me, I think there's a lot to say here. Yeah, there is a lot to say here. It's, it is a very simple card, but this simple card explains a lot about what the game is going to be about. And that's just, it's a great spoiler. It's a great thing to have revealed to us early on. I like that Ravensburger is giving us like little hints with each spoiler. So with each spoiler, we learn a little bit, a little bit more about the game, and it just causes much more speculation. When this came out, the day before Healing Glow came out, there was a lot of speculation on how damage was going to work. And then when Healing Glow came out, we then were like, oh, okay, well, it looks like damage is now permanent. And once we get to our next card, it also answered another question that we had about our speculation. But before we get to that card, I have one last thing to say. And with permanent damage, the game outside of the game, it allows you to represent damage on the cards in the way that you see fit. Obviously, in Pokemon, at the time that I played, I don't know if it is the same now, dice were pretty popular to keep track of damage. So I can see people not only using the tokens out of the box, but dice if they see fit. Obviously, those small ones that are a little bit harder to knock over, those were big in my day of playing Pokemon. But... The game outside of the game, it allows people to create tokens. And if they do so, choose, sell them, or give them out. And with my time with Star Wars Destiny, there was a lot of brand customization of tokens. So I think this will be fantastic for the people who may not have seen that before. But just like running the tokens as long as they are clear and identify what they are and are legal and organized play, I see no reason why they shouldn't be. It allows you to personalize your board even further, so I love that aspect that comes with permanent damage. Oh yeah. It's always good to have as much personalization as you can with your decks. The sleeves, the play mats, even the counters are a way to help show who you are as a person, and decks are that way as well, where decks can in a more casual setting, be a representation of the player itself. And with that, let's move on to our next card. Alright. Scar Mastermind is a 5-4 story-born villain in Sapphire for 6 cost flourish. Insidious Plot. When you play this character, chosen opposing character gets minus 5 power this turn. So, I look at him... And I like his effect. I like that when he comes onto the board, a opposing character gets negative 5 attack. His stats to me are pretty basic. 
it's really interesting. At the time of this reveal, we did not know if you could challenge if a character came onto the board or not. We have since learned that, we'll talk about it later, what happens when a character comes into play, if they can challenge or not. But looking at it, to me, I don't know if I would say if I am underwhelmed, but I love his ability, but I don't know. It's just not jiving with me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree. When he first came out and we weren't sure if you could challenge right when he entered play, I was really excited for Scar because my mindset went, okay, I play Scar, then I make my opponent's biggest creature basically deal no damage, and then I challenge it with Scar and damage it with no damage to Scar. That's a really cool thing to do. It's basically a removal spell on a body. And while Scar's power and toughness are a little bit under cost compared to the other 6, 7, and 8 cost characters that we've seen so far, that ability is still really good and you can still make it useful. With this reveal, we also learned that whenever there is a challenge, or at least not necessarily learned, but we can reasonably speculate that whenever a character challenges another character, both of them deal damage to each other. Or else this card makes absolutely no sense. And so that was another question that we had answered through slow periodic reveals of these cards. And with this question answered of does challenging have both of them deal damage, another question arose, which is can we challenge the moment he enters play? You're absolutely right that this card is a form of removal because we assume if you get one resource a turn, let's assume that, that you don't get this out till turn 6, again, we're just guessing here, you should have a board to take advantage of that, which absolutely makes thematic sense. Scar would weaken somebody and then have his agent banish them. So I guess it is fair, but that 6 cost, I don't know. I think this is, even though I am underwhelmed, I do think it is good. Again, it would be interesting to see the card pool around him. Perhaps there is some sort of benefit that a character can have if the attack is decreased in some form. It is absolutely selective removal if you have a good board state for it. But if you have a bunch of weak people and you neg five the attack off of one of your opponents, if we're assuming you can only challenge one-on-one, it won't matter if your opponent has a big tanky person on your board that you're trying to get rid of. But again, I guess I, I'm just underwhelmed, but that doesn't mean the card itself is bad, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree. I This is, again, like, again, that's a, actually a good question that I never thought of is, are challenges specifically one-to-one? And if you challenge an opponent's character, that's it. You can't challenge that character again. I don't know. Like, that's actually a really good question that I haven't thought of until you mentioned it. But uh, if the case was like, no, I can challenge the same character with as many characters as I want, then I think Scar could go pretty well into like this Sapphire, Amber, Go Wide strategy. So you get a bunch of little minions and then Scar comes out and goes, hey, that big opponent character can't deal damage to you. Take advantage of it. I can definitely see that kind of deck happening once we get more information and that's a viable play. But until then, I agree. It's like, it's like, Oh, this looks good. Wait a minute. What the rules are like this? Oh, wait. No, that's not as good as we thought. Okay, never mind. It all depends on how complex they want to make the rules. Because in Magic the Gathering, 
if you decline attack, you can choose to defend with multiple characters. And if you do that in Lorcana, then how would the attack that you're challenging work out? Like, for example, if Hook and Peter Pan are targeting Scar, and Scar attacks, would his attack be dealt five to each, or would it be divided among, a, among of them? Who decides the order that the damage is dealt? So, to me, I could definitely see them doing that, adding that layer, but again, it is a layer of complexity that we'll have to see if they want to add it to the game or not, especially depending on how accessible they want to make this game for the younger age group. Not that the younger age group can't handle it, but it just depends on where they want to go with it, because it comes with layers. Yeah. The packaging suggests that this game has been made for people aged 8 and up. So the game can't be too complex for an 8-year-old to understand. The average 8-year-old to understand. When it comes to like stuff like layers from Magic the Gathering, grown adults have a hard time understanding how layers work in Magic the Gathering. So I agree that the rules of Lacrana need to be simple, or at least simpler. But we have so many questions as Lorcana speculators that they could spend every day spoiling a new card and we would still have questions by the time of release. And it's just, it's great. I cannot wait to see how the gameplay rules. A, how they come out and B, what they are. Moving on to our next card, the wardrobe, Bell's Confidant. Three costs with flourish, three attack, four health slash defense. She is a dreamborn ally, and she is purple. She has no ability. It looks like... So this tells us that there's going to be multiple ability-less or vanilla cards in each color. As we've already seen Olaf Friendly Snowman, which is a 1-3 for 1. If you compare both of these cost to cost, Olaf is better, assumedly. As if you played three Olafs versus one wardrobe, the Olafs would win, based on what we have understood so far. Yeah, the wardrobe, it's cool. We're adding Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and Beast is great. Beauty and Beast is probably one of the best, just objectively best movies of all time, much less Disney movies. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they didn't put Beauty and the Beast in at least the first couple sets. I am actually a fan of the wardrobe. I think three for seven is actually pretty good. You're absolutely right that when it comes to three Olafs equaling one wardrobe, obviously it goes in Olaf's favor. But again, another thing we don't know is a unique rule if there's going to be one. So theoretically, yeah, you could do that if there is no unique rule. But if there is, is there going to be enough one cost if you're running only vanillas to offset the three resources to succeed the three for seven, if that makes any sense. Obviously, when you get higher up the cost rank, you have more effects that are more efficient. And sometimes it can surpass the raw toughness and strength. But I think, like I said, I think just the raw 3 for 7 is phenomenal. And it all depends on what, if you are doing a curve, it's in that 3 cost slot. Is there going to be a lot of stuff that just ability-wise that is just better than this? Assuming that if you can accumulate resources, because that, that's a different conversation. If you can carry over your resources from one round to another. But yeah, just on the face of it, I think 3 for raw 7 
could theoretically see play. It's a wall. Obviously, Magic the Gathering has walls. Pokemon has walls in some sense and stuff like that. And they aren't always at the top, but sometimes they do see play. And sometimes they can frustrate your opponent. But just the three for seven, I think, is phenomenal. But we have to wait and see what else is in that three cost range, especially for purple. Yeah. And so, like, if you look at the two vanilla cards that we've seen from Amethyst, you see that both of them have a higher toughness than power, which, along with the other Amethyst cards that we've seen, strongly suggests that Amethyst is a more controlling ink color, which I'm all down for. I like the idea of turn one Olaf, turn two Magic Mirror, turn three Elsa, and then turn four just tapping down your opponent's best character and basically creating this stalled board just kind of delaying the game until you can get more powerful cards in the late game. The thing about it is, is we don't know for sure what her lord is going to be, and we don't know how that works. But if you have a wall on your side of the field, that lore is so important for your win, which we assume and kind of know it is, the more resources your opponent has to soak into tackling a wall to prevent you from accumulating lore again however that works to me is so interesting because they might have to soak multiple attacks into handling this wardrobe let's say she has two lore if she stays on the board for two turns because it takes your opponent multiple times to challenge again assuming your opponent has to challenge one at a time you're forcing your opponent to soak more into getting rid of your wall that is speeding up your lore salvation if that makes any sense yeah absolutely moving on to our next card all right we have aladdin prince ali a two flourish cost two two storyborn hero prince in emerald and he has ward opponents cannot choose this character except to challenge i love french vanillish there's just something, a French vanilla, if you if anybody doesn't know, is basically a vanilla with a keyword. And word is a keyword, so Aladdin is there for a French vanilla. I love French vanillas, they're so simple, so easy. Word, I love word, I love word on Aurora. Two, two, two seems pretty basic. Again, we have to see what the package is in Emerald. We also have to see what the uniqueness rule is. I am hoping there is a unique rule. I mean, could you imagine a board full of cheap Elise paired with Stitch? <laughs> yes, it'd be great. So, yeah, I, I'm i a fan of it. But again, we have to see what that package looked like to me. We, we have to see more of what's around him, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Ward appears to be a really good ability. I mean, we haven't seen too many cheap spells that will take out an opponent's in character. Right now, the cheap spell, cheap actions we have are helpful to your own characters. I'm assuming we'll see something like a one cost put two damage on a character later on down the road or two cost or whatever. And so that's when Ward becomes really useful. I see this being, again, in this kind of like slower, grindy matchup where... Instead of just having my opponent go, okay, I'm going to spend this action card to get rid of Aladdin in order to have an open field, you have to go, no, we're going to challenge. Aladdin's going to deal two damage to something, and there's nothing you can really do about that. Another thing, and I don't know why it just took me now to like point this out, is 
In most card games, when you do something to a character, they use the word target. But in this game, they use the word chosen, which gives Lorcana a personalized flair. Because I was looking at Aladdin and comparing Aladdin to Elsa to see if you could target Aladdin with Elsa, which you can't because they use the word chosen instead of target, which I think is really interesting and something I have to comment on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I believe it was Ryan Miller that stated they want this game to feel less aggressive. So whenever someone hears the word target, it generally has a more aggressive connotation to it. Mm -hmm. However, chosen is less so i can see this kind of being just like a whole like i mean it means the same thing chosen in lorcana is the same as target in other games but chosen has a less aggressive connotation to it which i understand and it's understandable like we understand what chosen means so i don't see any harm in it and it's it's a nice way to make the game feel a little more unique Again, it gives Lakana personality compared to other games because how many games use the word target, you know? How many games use the word defeated instead of banish? So to me, this just, I love it personally. And I don't think we have the proper official terminology for putting a character on the board. I don't think we have an official term yet, do we? I think the term is play. Like when Scar and Maleficent, they say whenever you play this. Okay. I think that's what our summoning is. And I think with that vernacular, it kind of suggests that we won't have instant speed stuff like counter spells or anything like that. That's just kind of a speculation at this point. But I think the equivalent of whenever you summon or whenever this enters the battlefield is going to be when you play. And with that, we are going to move into our final card. Our final card is White Rabbit Pocket Watch, three cards with flourish, purple item. With the ability, I'm late, exert one resource, chosen character gains rush this turn. They can challenge the turn that they are played. Okay. This card answers the question on whenever you play a character, can it challenge the turn they enter play? The answer is no, but if they have rush, they are able to. So with the White Rabbit's Pocket Watch, it's a three cost, which is a bit expensive. Turn three. You're debating on whether putting down the Pocket Watch or Elsa. Based on what I see so far, I'd rather put down Elsa. But the I'm Late ability, Granting Rush, I love it. It's so flavorful because in order to have this ability be useful, you need to play a card that is below your optimal cost. In other words, that character is entering play late. So you use that extra resource to give it rush because it came into play late. And I love that so much. I just love that little flavor and that kind of mechanic just fits that flavor so well. In terms of how good it is, I think it's middle of the pack compared to what we've seen so far. Having the ability for a character that you've put into play a little bit behind curve and giving it the chance to challenge... It can be good. It depends on how your deck works, and it depends on how your opponent's board is set up. There is a lot of what-ifs to determine how good this card is, which I'm not a fan of. I like cards that are, yes, this is good, no matter the circumstance. I personally love this card. I'm a huge fan of it. Again, in a vacuum, without other cards, 
we don't know what the rules are and stuff like that, I still love this card. I think this card will have a lot of combo potential. It will obviously be good if you can cheat it into play with some sort of decreasing effect or some sort of put an item on your board or you can generate a resource for a ability so you're not playing out of your pool. Again, we don't know if you can carry over resources from the next round. You are absolutely right about playing behind curves, but I think there's some way to mitigate that. I personally am a huge fan. It is a little bit more of an aggressive take on purple than we have seen. But again, we have to wait and see. Obviously, this card introduced the rush mechanic, which clarifies if you can challenge, but we still don't have a definitive answer if you can use the character's ability at the turn that they come and play or not. I am hoping that you can, but we will wait and see. And when I refer to ability, I'm referring to abilities where you exert, not abilities like Stitch. Like Elsa's Freeze. Exactly. And Rush is the same thing as Haste and Magic the Gathering, and obviously Haste she's played. There's a lot of good cards with Haste on it, which makes me wonder if we are going to see, like, for example, since we only have one Steel card fully revealed, I'm just going to use that as an example, if Steel is going to be the aggressive color with Challenge, if we're also going to see, like, a Monetary Spear in Steel, where you have like a one cost that's maybe a one one with like rush or whatever. So I think it is it answers questions. It allows a lot of potential. We need to see the rest of the card pool. I think it will see play, but again, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I'm leaning towards purple blue myself. But uh yeah, it's just a lot of wait and see and this might be a card that might be underwhelming for the first set, but again, if you have that combo potential where if you could cheat this in a turn earlier, or if you can mitigate the cost for its effect, or if you can, like, cheat it in for free on turn 4 or something. I like this card, obviously, because I'm gushing over it. I think it is good, but in a vacuum, you probably wouldn't say, but I think there will be some things you could pair with it eventually, if not in the first set. Yeah, I agree. By itself, it's not going to be fantastic, but if you build around it, Depending on how we look at it, like, I think it's not going to be put into a deck unless the deck is called Pocket Watch something. Yeah, and like we said, we need to see more before we can definitive say, but I like it, as I said. As we wrap up here, is there anything you would like to say about these six spoilers before we move on to our listener questions? Uh, yeah, I think all of them are very flavorful. I think Lorcana is doing a fantastic job on making each card properly feel like they are the card that's being represented. The pocket watch giving characters rush makes sense. Scar giving an opponent minus five power, that makes sense. Prince Ali being untouchable, that makes sense. Healing glow healing makes sense. It all makes sense. It's very flavorful. As a person who enjoys TCGs, I really like it whenever my cards are flavorful because... I can build a deck that's built around a theme or idea, and I can tell a story with these cards. I can tell the story about how Elsa was late for something, and so she borrowed the White Rabbit's pocket watch to hurry up. And I think that's going to be one of the great things about this game, is we can tell our own Disney stories with these Disney characters and items and actions. It's going to be so fun, y'all. It's going to be great. And I would like to add two more things. Number one, in this batch, we have gotten four more franchises added to the first chapter. 
Snow White, Tangled, Beauty and the Beast, and I forgot to mention Alice in Wonderland. So, four new franchises, fantastic. And the next thing I would like to add is, we know that Lorcana is going to have a story. It is going to be curious to see how the story uses the assets that are in the card game themselves. Like, do you summon the magic mirror to see what Scar the Mastermind is doing, and you need to use the Right Rabbit pocket watch to go visit the wardrobe to consult with Elsa Snow Queen in order to defeat Hades King of Olympus, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's going to be really curious how they tell you the story, because we know we're getting a story, and how they're going to use the access of the game in that story. It is now time for our listener questions, where we answer questions that were submitted to us via our social media pages and the Lakana HQ Discord channel. Our first question comes from Lakana Cardpool from Twitter, and they ask, what is the ideal game length for a TCG? The ideal game length for a TCG, you need to ask the question, do you want the events to have a best of three style format, or do you want it to have a best of one format? What I mean by that is, whenever you have a round in an event, do you want the two players to have a best of three round or a best of one? If it's a best of three, you want the average game to be about 10 to 15 minutes while more controlling matchups will last about 20 to 25. If you want a one game per round format, you want it around 40 minutes on average. And so with Lorcana, I'm kind of hoping they do the best of three format for events. Generally, whenever you do an event, you want each round to be a solid hour. And so I want it to be a best of three. So I'd like Lorcana to have about 10 to 15 minute matchups. You are absolutely right. It all depends on what kind of system you want your game to be. For me, it is a matter of personal preference. I prefer a longer game. I prefer a game that I would be more engaged with, hence the control player in me. So I loved the game Pokemon where it was best of one and you could really, at the time at least, I don't know how it is now, you could spend like a good amount of time in it where I think the games that are best two out of three that are shorter allows you to mitigate luck and chance a little bit because you get an extra couple of times. And if you introduce a sideboard, there's also that, so there's a lot of skill to that. But sometimes I do not like how quickly those games go, where if you have a game that is longer and is more engaging, again, just from personal preference, I feel like there's more chances of coming back where if you play a quicker game like Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day when I did or Magic the Gathering, it seems like you could very easily be counted out a lot easier than Pokemon. Yeah, in Pokemon you could get donked at the time where you could attack on the first turn and that always felt bad, but it always seems like you had a chance to mitigate your bad luck in the first turn or so in the longer games that in the shorter games are a little bit quicker because Magic the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh! If you don't get what you need in the first couple of terms, you're kind of you're out of luck in a sense. So my personal preference, I like a longer game. I go somewhere in the middle and I say between 12 and 20 minutes, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. Alright, our next question is for you, Knife. Oh boy. 
and it comes from Glimmer Fish, also on Twitter. And his question to you is, how would you react if a random stranger walked up to you in the street, superglued a live turtle to your face, and then walk away all without a word? How would I react? Uh, well, first I would be absolutely bewildered because, uh, okay. The next thing I would probably do is try to get as much details as I can about the guy and just, I, I don't know, record it on Twitter. I don't know. Get those clicks. I don't know. Record a little, like, video of myself. I don't know what I'd do. What a weird question. <laughs> Speaking of somewhat of a weird question, our last question comes from everybody's favorite meme person, Jared, from the Citizens of Lakana podcast on Twitter. His question is, if people will have the opportunity of playing a game of Lakana with you at Gen Con with you in your pigeon mask. Yes, uh, so for those who aren't in the loop, I bought this latex pigeon mask because I devote myself to the memes and the jokes. And so, yes, I will be bringing my pigeon head to Gen Con. And yes, I will be playing Lorcana at Gen Con with the pigeon mask on, if only for a little bit because it's difficult to breathe in it and it squishes my nose. I would assume that you'd be wearing it any time a picture's taken of you, right? Oh, if if asked to put it on, absolutely. And with that, it is now time for Marcana. In this segment, we will focus on one card and share three facts about that character and our franchise behind that card. For this episode, we are going to share with you three facts behind Aladdin, Prince Ali. Fact 1. Aladdin's character design was inspired by Tom Cruise. Fact 2. In the 90s, Disney tried to bring in Sir Patrick Stewart as a voice to one of their characters, including Jafar. However, scheduling would not allow him to participate because he was involved in a little show called Star Trek The Next Generation. Fact 3. 25 years ago, at the 36th Grammy Awards, Aladdin's A Whole New World became the first and is still the only Disney song to ever win a Grammy for Best Original Song. That will now conclude our main show. But before we get out of here, we would like to take this time to thank our patrons. Thank you, Austin, Jason, and Tim. We could not do what we do without your support. If you, listener, would like to become a patron and support us, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash for more information. That will wrap up this episode of iRebel. Thank you, Nye, for coming on to talk with me about Lakana. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. I had a lot of fun, and we hope to have you on again sometime. Absolutely. If people would like to reach out to contact you, where can they do so? You can find me on the YouTubes as Knives Nerd Corner, and you can also find me on the Twitter as Knives Nerd Corner. And you can find me everywhere at Jadeki Girl, and you can find Ivy Bell everywhere at Ivy Bell Destiny. Till next episode, take care of yourselves, everybody, and we will see you next time. Jadeki Girl, out. This has been Ivy Bell. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at ivybelldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you.
Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Disney or any other organization. All copyrights belong to the proper copyright holders.